Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to a Labor Day edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Hank Vogler, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do as he slurps his coffee is we gather and we discuss the issues between rural and urban America. What year, Hank Vogler, was Labor Day created as a federal holiday? Uh, I do know that Oregon was the first one to c- declare it a holiday, and that was like in the 1880s, late 1880s. So I would say probably the turn of the century. Yeah, 1894. But it was a result of riots and police death and brutality. <laughs> no, uh, uh, aggression towards policemen in Chicago and New York. In 1882, that led to the revolt and the signing by President Grover Cleveland to the federal holiday because American citizens were working 12-hour days, seven days a week, and if you were five, you were expected to go to the factory to work, five or older. So what's changed for farmers? No, you, funny you should go there. That's exactly what my question was going to be. Is <laughs> nothing. That is what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, get on board here, and uh, you know, I can get in front of the class and 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 stand up and spell stupid, but uh, the labor reform movement was great, and just like many many things that we do, they became. Politicized, they became ensconced in one party. Uh, they wound up with more money than they ever thought they could. And now we have da- devolved, basically, we're down to 10%. And the two biggest unions, I believe, are the federal employees, mm-hmm. which that just absolutely traps my cheeks, mm-hmm. and the teachers union. And, and what have we gained for that? We have little fiefdoms and little, you know, in-control people that run around and have to pick on somebody or or abuse somebody to show their prowess and power. And then we have an education department that uh, when uh, James Earl Carter Jr. moved it up to the status of cabinet level in the 70s, uh, we were number one in the world. Now I think... Ooga Booga Baga is ahead of us, or Pego Pego, or whatever. I mean, they were 35th. So the movement has far and away, other than giving everybody a holiday, the first Monday in September, uh, it's, 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 it's plumb out of whack. You want to tear a statue down, let's tear the statue down of the people that are doing all the threatening uh, with the political parties of who they're going to represent. And some of them have come to their milk and are going to represent and go with Mr. Trump. And others are still ensconced in the old Democratic Party. You know, we'll grease your palm. How much money is it going to cost us to get this done? Okay, I'm through. (laughs) You may fire when ready, Gridley. (laughs) Hey, I have to be honest. I think the the part of the American history that I am poorest on is the Spanish-American War. And uh, as you always do, give us a little, this was off-air, history lesson. lesson. Uh, Commander George Dewey 
born December 26, 1837, was considered a war hero. On May 1, 1898, George Dewey commenced the Battle of the Manila Bay, and he uttered the famous command, You may fire when ready, gridly, within six hours. Dewey's squadron of six ships, including U.S. flagship USS Olympia and Captain Gridley at the helm, had sunk every ship in the Spanish fleet. Wow. Well, and if you will also remember, uh, the uh, they always said William Randolph Hearst started that war mm-hmm. uh, by sinking of a ship in, in uh, Havana Harbor in Cuba. And uh, Theodore Roosevelt kind of got his leg up to be El Presidente of the United States. The Battle of Bull With Run. the Rough Riders. Yeah. San Juan Hill. San Juan Hill, you're Bull right. Run was in, yeah, Bull Run was in the Civil War. I, I was pretty young then, but I kind of remember <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> I stand corrected. And you did not need wow, Duck, really? Duck. Yeah, and you didn't Mark. need Duck, Duck, Go for that. <laughs> Oh, okay then. I Every sure. once in a while, a blind squirrel finds an acorn, right? Yeah, or I say a rooting hog finds an acorn. Uh, okay. George Dewey has a phenomenal mustache, by the way. Yep. Just saying. So, anyhow, many years ago. Yeah. So, uh, all I can say is, again, like many great ideas, yes, I don't think that people needed to work other than farmers uh, to make a living seven days a week, and, and the five-year-olds uh, didn't need to go to the factories. And there were some issues. And I think the reason they had the riots, wasn't it because uh, they were having hard times in the 1890s, kind of a recession, and, and the different companies wanted to cut wages? Yeah. And and then the the fan and the and the caca came together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I, they used to call out the, <laughs> the fan, fan and the caca troops. True story. <laughs> yeah, so. Grover Cleveland is probably a, another president I know very little about. Not probably, he is a president I know very little about. Well, I can tell you one thing about him. One of his re- relatives, uh, when he came to Spring Valley, Nevada. Grover Cleveland came to Spring Valley, Nevada? I don't know if he personally did, but one of his relatives, it's called the Cleveland Ranch, and it was belonged to either his cousin or his brother or some relative. The Cleveland Ranch, when they uh, got their homestead, they, they run about a 1,000 head of cows, and it's a watered-up son of a gun for Nevada. And by the by, it's all private. There's no federal land to Ooh. it. Wonder how that happened. How did that happen? <coughs> that darn Gosh, Harry Reid was working. He was ahead of his time, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. So evidently Grover could get things done too. Yeah, Grover. Was, it's it's all in one block. Grover Cleveland was so. born and died in New Jersey. He's a New Jersey boy. Yeah. Well, he had a relative uh, just <laughs> down the street and two blocks on the left. Cleveland distinguished himself as one of the few truly honest and principled politicians of the Gilded Age. Consequently, this is why I know nothing about him. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing too scandalous. Yeah, you? exactly. 
But I don't know. In those days, it probably wasn't even considered a, a scandal because in those days, the states were going to eventually develop all their own land and the land would all be turned over to the states. Mm-hmm. Just some of the states pulled back like a borrowed dog because uh, the ground they didn't think was productive enough uh, to warrant what it would cost to administer it. And huh. it should have went to private hands, but it didn't. So This is a bit interesting. During the Civil War, Grover Cleveland was drafted, but he hired a substitute so that he could stay home and care for his mother. Even though it was, yeah, uh, it was legal, it made him vulnerable in uh, political aspirations later in life. Well, I guess not totally vulnerable. He became president. Yes. But uh, I didn't realized that for a long time and i read that somewhere that yep you could you could hire somebody and a lot of people that were drafted went west just left the right uh, left and went west so but you you could hire somebody but you didn't have any money well (laughs) if that was the case then hiring them was uh you know didn't make much sense right yeah but you could do it yeah, I don't. Lots of. I don't need that part. I never. That's news to me. I'm learning a lot today with Labor Day 2020 and taking a walk down memory lane. Yes, I think it's the first day I've actually gotten you to work on Labor Day since we started doing roll route. Usually, you want to take the day off. Well, no, I think usually you have State some commitment, fair. but you you got the you got the coronies going, so no, you know, well, you're kind of locked down too. Uh, we, uh, we did have state fair this past weekend, but because of COVID-19, all of the schedules were altered. We had, I don't know, I don't know how many people were at state fair yesterday, 5,000 probably. So we were showing livestock, but, uh, all the livestock shows ended last night. So today we're here. We're all out. Hank Bogler alongside bringing to light Grover Cleveland, one of the honest politicians in American history. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more Labor Day Celebrations 2020 after this. Right off the bat today, I want to talk about branded beef programs. A branded beef program works for you if it puts more money in your bank account. Certified Piedmontese will get that done. It's all about the Piedmontese cattle, the selection for multiple traits towards profitability, tenderness being the key trait, but it's not the only trait. Get more details about the myostatin gene and how Lone Creek Cattle Company has bred these cattle to be balanced for profitability. I think that's the new tagline, balanced for profitability. Details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Lewis alongside Hank Vogler checking in from north of Spring Valley, Nevada, right next door. Why don't you acquire that Cleveland ranch? Well, uh, because when the lovely and talented Southern Nevada Water Authority showed up, uh, the Mormon Church got the urge to also buy a ranch in Spring Valley along with other people like, uh, Vidler Water. And, you know, there was a lot of clairvoyance going on just before they started buying ranches for intergenerational wealth. And the Mormon Church still holds that ranch. Oh. So. I'm, I'm guessing. And the Mormon that, Church. Yeah, I'm guessing that's not going to be available anytime soon. To you. No. 
or to anybody else. No, certainly not a heathen like me, for goodness sakes. Yeah, what, right. what would the righteous have to do if it wasn't for heathens like me? <laughs> I, I wouldn't bet the ranch on uh, the Mormon church not selling to Southern Nevada Water Authority. I would, on the other hand, bet the ranch that you're not going to have access to it. Right. The, uh, you know, it, uh, it's a it's a quite a ranch. I mean, there's no question about it. It's all private. I think over the years, uh, the other people, uh, Chachas had it for a while, and I think they acquired some BLM permits. But uh, the original ranch itself is all in one block. Wow! And it has most most water in uh, in all of Spring Valley, and and they bought it, uh, and. Uh, have operated it and, and uh, they take care of stuff. I, you've got to give, give them that. There's no question about it. But Zion's Bank, when they had the set to in the 2008-9 in there with the housing in Las Vegas, uh, Zion's Bank, which is their bank, uh, <clears throat> bond value or, or its uh, standard and poor's ratings went down because of their exposure in Las Vegas. So you push come to shove. Yes, the water there would also go to Las Vegas. I would about bet you money marbles or chalk. Yeah. You know, the Mormon church is the largest cow owner in, in the state of Nebraska, too, right? I didn't know about Nebraska. I knew yeah. they were the largest cattle owners in the United States with their Florida enterprise. Florida. Deseret ranches in so, Florida and Wyoming and Utah. Oh, okay. But, but in Nebraska, mm-hmm. it's the Rex Ranch. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Uh, they they got in the ranching business in Nebraska and we still had an anti-corporate farming law. And, well, they're a corporation. Well, then, <clears throat> are, isn't everything that they own uh, exempt from taxes, too? I can't answer that they're, question. I think they're, I don't know if they still have that going for them. But, you, uh, you know, you have prompted a very good question with Nebraska being in the position that we are for a tax base, which... On a cow-calf basis, just, just do the math on this, Hank. And we had a, we finally had a glimpse of property tax relief in Nebraska. But my grass property tax per acre is fifteen dollars. It takes minimum wow. seven seven acres to run a AUM. Well, to run a cow-calf for a oh, year. Oh boy! Yeah. So seven times fifteen. Hundred dollars. The first hundred dollars. Per calf goes to pay property tax. So if the Rex Ranch does not have to pay property tax, they have to pay property tax. It cannot be excluded from paying property tax. I, I wouldn't bet you. I wouldn't bet the farm on it. Does a, any church pay property tax? I got to ask with my own church. Do I, I don't think so. Tax? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they're well, tax exempt. Huh. Oh, that's I'm, been a bone of contention okay. for a lot of. Yeah, but that's a major hang-up for those areas in the West. You, you got me going to answer this question because the Rex Ranch, as much as they own in Western Nebraska, if they're not paying property tax, my bigger concern than uh, putting everybody else in a disadvantage when it comes to the CACF businesses, they got counties that would be completely dependent upon their money for schools. Because you have to have some property tax for the school system. And if they're exempt, I don't know how those counties pull that off. Well, I know that they used to. Uh, there was, and not just with the Mormon church, but with all of them. That, right. that people were saying, okay, you got your church house. You can have your tax exemption there. Another group 
uh, I believe the Mennonites and the Quakers and all of that, mm. they have a wraparound that they're able to avoid taxes by declaring it church property. Okay, so if this is the case, you know, we've been going under the name Team Loose. When you pull in our driveway, there's a big sign that says Team Loose. If this is accurate, January 2021, we're going to become operating as Temple Loose. There you go. Get on board, cowboy. <laughs> you don't think you don't think the Need More Sheep Company nuked the gay whales for Jesus Coalition, is it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, yeah, that's a, a real bone of contention. And then at one time, you know, their former leaders uh, said that all the uh, black people should be sent back to Africa. And uh, that didn't do much good. And for a long time, uh, people of color uh, could not raise into the hierarchy. And then one of them along the way had a divine uh, whatever uh, inspiration and said, you know, we're going to let because they were going to lose their status as a church. So. But we, nobody wants to talk about history. We just want to tear all the statues down and, yeah. and we've all, and then as soon as we get those doggone statues on the ground and take the names off of schools that don't fit our agenda, we'll all be singing kumbaya and, and holding hands and it, mm-hmm. there'll be no more strife. <laughs> nobody remembers the sixties except old duffs like me. This is this is same song, second verse. And then you go back to the labor strife that we've had. You go back to the Civil War, you know. That war killed more people than any other war Americans. 700,000, I believe. Americans. Yeah, I believe 700,000. Yeah. And how many of them died of, uh, of disease Most. and pestilence and Most. all of them, you know, just, yeah. yeah. So, again, <clears throat> it, it has not been this smooth perfect transition the only thing i can say is uh look at china in china anybody that owned over three acres which is what a hectare and a, and a skosh more i think a hectare is two and a half acres if you own more than three acres they killed you they hung you they shot you uh which is you know kind of a little overboard and probably wise from 1949 till about 1980 uh, the, the Mao Zedong, even though he died prior to that, they didn't have much advancement in anything because they killed their intellectuals. They killed the people, that, their, their teachers. They, you know, again, how in the world Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization? Read what the Marxists do and we have Bezos and Gates and all these rich people giving them money. Do you think that that's going to buy them any time if the Marxist takes over? The Marxists will put their buddies in charge of their businesses, and they take them out and shoot them. So what, one world order is what? All the rich people in the world, all the Marxists are going to shoot them, and we'll start, I mean, steel days. They they hung the hierarchy of the monarchy, the, the rich people in France. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, if anybody just had one history lesson loose, they would be it would be a completely different program. 
Nobody reads history. Um, actually, that France situation that you talk about led to Alex de Tocqueville. Do you know his much about his history? No, I do not. He's from France. He came to the United States and he toured um, the United States as it was in like 1835 to 1840. And he went to every prison interviewed prisoners and then wrote the book democracy in america and uh you could call him a visionary because i'll I'll, during the break i'll find some of his quotes and share them with you but he absolutely saw this day and it wasn't because of what he learned at that time but he was learning how to get france back to what the united states was at the time and now instead we become what france was then we'll take a break it's pretty easy We'll explore that with Hank Vogler, second half of Rollout after this. Let's talk about food production in the 21st century, recognizing that it is not the 22nd century. We're there now. We're looking at the genetics. This is so quickly evolving. I see everybody talking about looking at genomics, looking at the DNA. Neogen truly has been the leader in providing the Igenity test, particularly to cattlemen. But there are more chickens being DNA tested. You think that the genetic variation in the chicken is so wide they would never really look at DNA anymore. The chicken business does more DNA evaluation than any other feed food animal species. So why would we as cattlemen be farther behind than the chicken people? And we're even farther behind than the pet people who just want to know where their pets originated from. I find that insane. If you're in the cattle business and you're not looking at the genomics of your cattle, I don't know if you're long for the go. I don't mean to be critical, but I'm just saying I think it's essential for where we're headed. Neogen is who we work with. We do it with sows, with boars, with cows, and bulls and calves. Look at the DNA to see what is available and what kind of progress you could make. The Igenity Test, shining a light on your genetic future. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Hank Vogler. Labor Day 2020, celebrating the working man, woman, and child. Work ethic went out when we quit requiring kids to work. Not in a dangerous situation, just requiring them to work. Alex D. Tocqueville. Here's the, my, uh, probably my most uh, favorite quote from him, although there are many that are just so spot on. The American Republic will endure until the day Congress discovers that it can bribe the public with the public's money. That kind of sounds like Thomas Jefferson. Um, it's Alex de Tocqueville. Uh, Jefferson had a similar quote, but it wasn't about money. Here's another one that I think just it's a little longer, but it just really speaks volumes to what you talk about every single week. Democracy extends the sphere of individual freedom. Socialism restricts it. Democracy attaches all possible value to each man. Socialism makes each man a mere agent, a mere number. Democracy and socialism have nothing in common but one word, equality. But notice the difference. While democracy seeks equality in liberty, socialism seeks equality in restraint and servitude. Right. And Winston Churchill uh, paraphrased that or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah. We have this, uh, you have the, what is it? Uh, socialism 
has equal uh, capitalism has unequal distribution of wealth. Socialism has the equal distribution of misery. Yeah, exactly. Americans are so enamored with equality, they would rather be equal in slavery than unequal in freedom. Yeah. By by the way, I want to remind you, he wrote these quotes in 1835. Well... No wonder I don't remember. I was in grade school then. So. <laughs> Americans are so... Oh, no. Yeah. Nothing is more wonderful than the art of being free, but nothing is harder to learn how to use than freedom. Well, look at my history. Mm-hmm. Look at anybody's history. If you can get on the inside, if you can get a leg up with, uh, I don't know, Taking a lamb to the forest ranger, or or right. or be a drinking buddy with the guy at the BLM, or or whatever. People, it's just as natural as natural can be. You can wind up with some favoritism, and it just has got to the point where for so long, why would you? You know, the Republicans they were the get along go along guys. Uh, they got a few table scraps if there was something in their particular state. That they needed, they'd kind of concede, but it was always with a left bent. Uh, the Democrats were in charge. So when the small farmers, when the working people and all of those different groups were going to vote solid Democrat, along with the racially prejudiced solid South, I mean, you talk about reversing engines, you talk about hiding the truth, you talk about tearing down statues. The Democrat Party was so racially involved with the Jim Crow laws, it's unbelievable, and they did a complete reverse. But what we had was, if you wanted to get something done, you sacked up the money, you went back and you bought yourself George Soros. He buys them by the dozen. Democrats. And no matter how crazy or radical your ideas were, no matter how far out of the mainstream, they became mainstream just because you sacked up the most money and you bought the most politicians. And that and that's where we're at. And all these little fiefdoms, all these people that work for the federal government, for the state government, even the county government, all know that they can hand out favors. And with the unions, they can't be fired. I mean, per, case in point was, was the guy that was my range con. Mm-hmm. His abuses were from sexual harassment, you name it. And yet he's still there, got all of his money back, everything. That's where we're at, and that's what we need to change. No, we don't need to get rid of the federal government. No, we don't get, it to get any government. We need government. We need law enforcement. We need a certain amount of logical rules and regulations. We need all of those things, but we don't need them at the level we've got them. And when people are not doing their job, then you say you're no longer needed here. What, what, what did uh, President Reagan always, or not Reagan, Trump always say? You're fired. We yeah. need to be able to that, do that within the federal government. That was a TV show, though. Oh, I, well, TV show or not, we're uh, we're live and in color, and it it's not working. And the reason it's not working is we have allowed a system that is no longer 
for the people, by the people, of the people, and, th- and those metaphors. It is absolutely uh, out of control at the federal level. And then it trickles down all the way through the system. So, how do you like that on Labor Day weekend? So, uh, I think I'm going to bring this up now. Speaking of history, I I stumbled upon a, a little fact of history which may have some incorrect statements in it, so I'm not going to use the whole thing, but the overall premise is the same. And it dates back to the National Socialist Party and what the Nazi Party did with the police departments of the day, what they did to people who uh, were not in favor of tearing apart the police departments. And the bigger thing that I saw in the making of uh, Nazi Germany that just was a little eerie to me, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, Hank, and I want your insight on it. I've been trying to figure out through COVID-19 why it is that we seem to be willing to let people continue to line up at the big multinational chains. I don't name them, but I'm going to have to today. The Walmarts of the world. We've forced people to go shop at the Walmarts, and we, we've broken, financially ruined the small mom and pops. If Walmart didn't do it on its own, and I'm just using them as one example of what I'm talking about. I read this, this history of how Hitler got everybody on his side and how he ultimately won the favor. He basically created a dependence with the smaller ma and pa stores in Germany upon him because he financially broke them to the point where they had no other means of survival. And then he had the support of the larger corporations. And then I thought about in the United States today, the small ma and pa stores, whether it be a grocery store, a restaurant, or a, a boot saddle shop, those small businesses are typically conservative and Republicans, been, and the larger businesses of, are 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 Democrats and very liberal. It's beginning to make sense. Well, I I don't believe that that uh, I'm clairvoyant, but it's been a bone of contention for me for years and years and years to look at the fact in the packing industry. You know, living in a small town. All my life, we had two or three options on our cattle when they had, uh, were no longer in the breeding age and, and old cows. In fact, years ago, old cows were just left to die. There just was no market for them, and it was too far to market. Well, we had two or three options. And then rules and regulations put people out. Uh, my friend that used to come hunting on my granddad's ranch, from uh, Astoria, Oregon, and his uh, fisheries uh, rules and regulations put him out of business, yes. And the thing of it is, is a lot of those small businesses, when you're a small businessman and somebody comes along and says, we have to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and you're not even getting $15 an hour and you own the business, you're not going to want to vote for that. So to control the people, yeah, small business has become the enemy of big business always. You know, you're getting the government to eliminate your competition. And 
the very fact that all small businesses make up the majority of the wage people in the United States. And the control of the central government, the control of the socialism or whatever you want to call it, it's over power. And they have figured out how to get power, probably from reading history, probably from reading, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan. We're one generation away from socialism. Uh, you know, we all we got to do is, is is let them in the door. Well, they've been coming in the door front and back for years and years. And, and it's not that the people that are involved in it uh, even understand the philosophy of what they're doing to the greatest country on earth. What it evolves to is they want to stay in control and power. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Clintons, I think, would love to see uh, uh, Chelsea become a president of the United States. I mean, whatever. I mean, power, money, influence. You know, look at the Bidens. Look at look at Hunter Biden. Just if he got a flat fee like they do, and I assume that's what he got, a one billion five hundred million dollars. If he got just a, a, a commission, a regular commission, that's $30 million. That's $2.5 million a month for that one deal. And all it was was to buy influence. The communist Chinese are not stupid. The people in China don't believe in communism. I don't even think the Central Committee believes in communism, but they believe in power. And they got there on the communist train, and they don't want to let go of power. That's what it all is about. It has nothing to do with what's good for the people. And obviously, in a communist country, you're just a number, and you're disposable. Wuhan virus, why would they ever let something like that, a genie out of the bottle, kill a few of their people? But it, it, maybe it was nothing more than an experiment of what it would do. Why yeah. didn't they shut down air traffic out of Wuhan? Why didn't they do something about it? Mostly because if you call up and say, comrade, we have a big problem. Uh, well, you solve it. No, comrade, people dying in the streets. Oh, boy, I'm not going to tell my boss. He will take me to the concentration camp. So, again, yeah. <laughs> it gets out of whack. Roll out, Hank Vogler. We're going to bring it back into whack in the last segment right after this. The Stand at Paxton County on Netflix, the movie that, uh, you know what, it's getting dark significantly earlier. Now you're going to have time at night when you come in to sit for an hour and a half, I think an hour and 42 minutes, and watch The Stand at Paxton County. It brings to the big screen, it brings to your television, it brings to awareness what animal owners have been facing for quite some time. My friend in Hollywood says it tells the other side that's never been told before. What's the real story behind animal rights activists teaming up with local law enforcement? The Stand at Paxton County. Watch it on Netflix. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce, <clears throat> excuse me, alongside Hank Vogler, checking in north of Spring Valley, Nevada, you know, right over there next to the Cleveland Ranch. Men will not accept truth at the hands of their enemies, and truth is seldom offered to them by their friends. Alex de Tocqueville, <laughs> not to be confused with Hank Vogler, although there will be one day a book of quotes by Hank Vogler that surfaces <laughs> well, on the world wide web. What about Tocqueville? There, there used to be some 
not hippie woman, but some woman that advocated the use of marijuana that was named Alice B. Tokalis. I wonder if they're related. <laughs> Tokalis? This is Tocqueville. And I, Tocqueville. I, don't, oh, okay. I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly because he's a Frenchman, but it's T-O-C-Q-U-E-V-I-L-L-E. I'm pretty sure I got the Ville part right. Bill, Tocqueville. <laughs> you and your darn Basque. Well, parlez-vous français? Bonjour, senor. No, so up there's a mix up of Spanish and French. Bonjour, monsieur. Yeah. Como allez-vous? So. I think you wish you were a Basque sheep herder in the old country. That's what I think at, at heart. I don't know about being in the old country, but as complicated as a business that was basically left open to a lot of immigrants that were late to the show, both Irish, Scotch, and Basque, that did a job nobody wanted to do and went into an area that nobody really wanted. Uh, and some of them survived and, and, and wound up with ranches and all kinds of things. And so, yeah, I, I, I yearn for the day that this thing is a lot less complicated. And that is the, the hope that I have. You know, it's one thing to be on this radio show or anywhere and try and explain the pressure that's put on you as a public land rancher. But it doesn't resonate. But now everybody at some level has some bureaucracy making rules and regulations and pushing on them, pushing them down, pushing them sideways, telling them what to do, even when they know better than to do that. So, yeah, that's what's happened is we just the crescendo of power of a certain element of government has gotten so powerful and 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 these all need to justify their existence that's why nothing ever gets solved the 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 money is in the problem not the solution solutions are kryptonite to their species you know uh me a perfect example is unless you're a complete blithering idiot when you get a new range con and i don't care what flavor he is uh, or how much experience they actually have. If he just got his diploma from Bunny Hugger U, and that diploma is in I Hate Ranchers, you try and make an alliance with that person, and you start compromising, unless you have 80 bozillion dollars or political capital of your own, to where you can take that person and, and, and get him transferred to Point Barrow, Alaska, to count polar bear turds, or some other issue, you're stuck, and you'd better figure out how to, to, to get along with him. And so you you wait and you wait and, and you you hope that they come to or get or go somewhere else. But that's how it works. And that's just the same as paying fifteen dollars an acre for those seven acres uh to stay in business. Yeah. So yeah, the first hundred and five dollars out of a Nebraska animal goes to the government. Wow goes to my county to run a school and they abuse the funds that they get. That's the other part that I'm dealing with. Because they have, uh, it's almost ingrained into any, uh, you have no idea how much, how many people yell at me. I'm the chairman of the Nevada Rangeland Resource Commission. Right. We keep a contingency fund on the side. We do not 
we get this money in from every ranch, 10 cents assessment of every AUM they've got to promote rangeland ranching. Do we spend every penny of it? Absolutely not. I don't believe in that. Just because it's in in the budget, why do you need to spend it? Because then you start spending on some foolish things. And we have made some mistakes and spent some things on some very foolish projects, but we try and limit that. Again, it makes people mad. We do the same thing on the N4 grazing board that I'm a member of. And on that grazing board, we always hold something back in case we have a terrible winter and the different ranches get snowed in and they need some help getting plowed out and things like that. But it is just absolutely ingrained in almost any government bureaucracy. If you got a million-dollar budget, you spend that million dollars no, no matter what it's on. You get rid of that money, and then the next year you ask for a million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars because obviously you need it because you ran out of money last budget year. And, and we have special sessions. We have our legislature meets every two years. And now over the years has evolved a complete group of people that get together on an interim basis to balance the budget and to fund things that have already run out of money. And, of course, the government says, well, why don't we have annual sessions? Well, then it becomes they're already career politicians. I mean, it just... It's just the nature of the beast, and it's up to the American people, every one of us, to defend against that. So uh, almost in that line of thinking, Friday I was in Lincoln at uh, at the home of Certified Piedmontese Lung Creek Cattle Company's office because Sonny Purdue, Secretary of Agriculture, was there with my governor, Pete Ricketts, and the uh, district U.S. Congressman, Jeff Fortenberry, it was a roundtable discussion. I was honored to be a part of that. But the reason that Secretary Purdue was in Lincoln is that he has made this pack to get every governor to sign up with him to support the Sustainable Forest Initiative. And I see that there are some people starting to really come down on him. Here's an editorial based on his uh, statements made in Idaho that Secretary Sonny Purdue sees trees as a crop. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Yeah. Huh. And, and so um, Sonny Purdue basically is saying that we have to stop putting these environmental laws in place to bubble wrap our forest because it is causing problems. We need to prioritize logging, mining, drilling, and grazing as that is the only way to manage our forest in a healthy manner. That's the message of Sonny Purdue, and it's apparently starting to resonate because, Hank, it's not too hard to find some people that are not real happy with Sonny Purdue, so kudos to him for finally taking a stand to, to make something happen. But I know also, I'll just so you know, I know that he is doing this because his greatest level of frustration as the Secretary of Agriculture is the lack of progress that's been made in managing the forest. And all of the USDA, oh, that is his biggest frustration, that they've made no progress in managing forests. And look what we've done. And look what's going on in California. I think that they're hitting like million-acre fires, mm-hmm. and it's in the forest. And, and you just you can't do that. The forests have been burning down for tens of thousands of years, and we started putting out fires 60 years ago. And 
we do not manage the forests and we allow them to get overgrown. Uh, we have so much better use of the woods and how to use all of the wood. I mean, it, there's so many things that we have learned in forestry and silviculture, but we're not using that. And by the time, you know, industry, if you need to build houses in Las Vegas tomorrow, you can't wait for a five-year NEPA study to decide whether you can cut a tree down or not. It doesn't mean you get to cut all the trees down. It means you do it in a proper manner. And as they used to have sustained yield forestry, in eastern Oregon, where I grew up, they planted more trees than they cut down. And now all those trees are up and going and on fire. Yeah. Well, boy, there's a real, real smart thing there's to do. There's management for I you. Mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the refuge in, uh, it used to be the crown jewel of the Pacific Flyway. They kicked over uh, 61 people. I think they're down to about 20. And they, they let everything go back to weeds and tulies and all those things to prove that if man does it, it's wrong. And nature does it, it's right. And all the birds moved over to private land. So guess, guess who the birds think are right? I mean, that used to be the most beautiful piece of ground on the earth. Anybody would be envious of its, of its multiple uses. And, but if man does it, it's wrong. And so now I think they're just starting to let them hang. That's straw. That's fodder. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's not, it's just ridiculous. But that's where we went. So why can't we let that pendulum swing back in the middle? You know, it doesn't mean we scorch the earth, but it means that we use common sense. We use logic and and we frame things so it's a benefit of all the people. If it's public land, by God, let the public have it, not just the environmentalists who haven't done a very good job you know ask somebody whose house just burned down in california ask somebody you know everywhere that's being affected by low you know crazy policies and those people might have originally been bunny huggers from the day one uh and and uh their minds are being changed by what they see is you know and and then now the biggest business in the west is fire 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 Huge fire trucks, bucket loads of money, helicopters, borate planes, smoke jumpers, teaching all these young people how to work five, six, seven yeah, months out of the year and go lay on the beach. I, I want to also say that while I applaud Sonny Purdue for trying to get this initiative going, I know for a fact, firsthand I know, that early in his uh, tenure as Secretary of Agriculture, the Forest Service and the challenges in managing the forest were brought to him and could have been dealt with. Trying to fix it now is a little bit like making hay a month after the hay is ready to harvest. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, sir. Keep yeah. plodding ahead, one. but it's it should have been done four years ago. Well, and I had a forest ranger, not a ranger. He was uh, up in the hierarchy. By the way, his name was Pence. <laughs> I hope he's not in relation to Vice President Pence. But he told me without blinking when I mentioned, I, I believe it was uh, when Reagan got his second term, and he never even looked up from what he was doing and said, we've lived through lots of presidents. Yeah. We've so successfully... is there an arrogance there? Uh, huge. <laughs> we have arrogantly ended our journey today connecting rural and urban America, celebrating the working man. And woman for Hank Bogle, Trent Luce. Both of us remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route.
Remember, when it comes to calf price, if you're not happy with what you're getting, what are you doing different about getting more? Certified Piedmontese might be the answer if you're a Great Plains cattleman. More details about how Lone Creek Cattle Company has put together a balance of profitability for your bank account. Marlon Will has full details. LoneCreekCattleCo.com.